Good morning, everyone. We're going to continue our Sermon on the Mount series today. And this is going to be a very different teaching. This is going to be a contemplative teaching. So a lot of this is going to be very interactive. Uh, my intention is not to really fill you with a lot of knowledge and you know, teachings and sermonize everything. My goal is that you would discover something new for yourself about this passage and that maybe we could have a sort of interaction as best we can here online. So the first way we're going to do that is we're going to read the text. Our text today is Matthew 5, 43 through 48. And we are going to do that in a Lectio Divina style. So what that means is I'm going to read this passage to you three different times. And each time you read it, I want you to pay attention to what's popping out to you. Is there a particular word? Is there a particular phrase that's really sticking out to you? That's going to be really, really important. So each time you read it, see, pay attention to, hear, listen to what is being revealed to you. Then we're going to take three minutes and you're actually going to sit with that word or that phrase in silence. And you're going to let God speak to you about why that word, why that phrase might have come up for you. And then I'll give you some brief thoughts at the end about this passage to think about. And then we'll have a little practice at the end as well that you can really put into play so that this keep, so that this becomes very experiential and real and lived out. So does that sound good? I know it's a little uh, different than what you're used to, but we're actually doing this in person too. We're doing an entire contemplative service in person, no music, it's very different. We've never done it before. And so I wanted to give you a taste, even though it'll be different here online, of what that's like today. So let's jump right into it. So the first thing you're going to do is enter into Lectio Divina. Now, the idea of this again is that the text here that you're going to hear is actually reading you. Something's going to pop out, something that you need to pay attention to. Write it down, remember it, whatever that word or that phrase is, once you hear this text three times. So let's read it now. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So just pay attention. What's sticking out to you? Let's hear it again. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. 
For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So you're going to hear it one more time. Again, just pay attention. Is there a word? Is there a phrase that keeps popping up that is sticking out to you? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, so I want you to make a mental note or jot down whatever that word, whatever that phrase is that for some reason popped out for you. And now we're going to bring that word or that phrase into silence. So we're going to do what's called centering prayer. So essentially all you need to do is for the next three minutes, we're gonna sit in silence. And I want you to repeat that word or that phrase in your head, silently. You don't have to say it out loud, but just in your head, silently repeat the word or the phrase, and then sit in the stillness. And when you sense yourself getting distracted or your mind going all over the place, repeat that word, repeat that phrase, whatever it was that came, came to you again. So what this is doing is, is it's unraveling, it's revealing something to you about this word or this phrase. So again, I think God's going to possibly reveal something to you about why this word, why this phrase is important. So maybe you'll think of someone, maybe you'll see something, maybe you'll hear something, maybe you'll think of a past event, whatever it is, allow it to come, embrace it. This is how the text can speak to you. So for the next three minutes, we're going to do that together in silence. Just be with that word or that phrase. Here we go.
All right, so we're gonna come out of that now. So go ahead and come back to the room. Go ahead and come back to this little teaching that we're doing, this little contemplative moment. And I want you to just spend a minute or two just writing down whatever happened to you in that moment of silence. So write down whatever you saw or you heard, or maybe it was nothing at all, or write down why you think this word or this phrase spoke to you, jumped out to you. Let's take two minutes to do that. All right, now let's come back. Okay, so how was that for you? Did you write a sermon for yourself right now? That's sort of the intention, right? That, you know, we don't always listen to someone like me just telling you what to think or the message, but that you are engaged in this process of discovering what does this mean to you? How is this speaking to you. So I would love for you to share in the comments, if you're comfortable, I know it's vulnerable, what came up for you? What did you learn about yourself, about someone else, about this particular moment in time when Jesus really wanted to get this message across? What did you learn now, today, right here? So I'm going to share just a few things that I feel I learned for myself when I was doing this practice, and that will sort of serve as the teaching in a sense. And then at the end, again, I'm gonna give you a little practice to kind of tie this all together in a hopefully interesting dynamic way. So the phrase that really jumped out to me when I was uh, sitting with this passage is pray for those who persecute you. 
pray for those who persecute you. And it made me realize, number one, that this is really hard. <laughs> that in this whole Bible, I think maybe this passage is one of the hardest things that Jesus asks us to do. To love your enemies, but to not only love your enemies, but pray for your enemies, the ones who persecute you. Right? That's really hard because if we're honest with ourselves, that's not what we want to do with our enemies, right? Deep within us, there is this very real desire to hate our enemies, to make people who are different than us, who think differently, who look differently, who behave differently, who do the wrong things to become our enemies, and it is up to us to destroy that enemy, right? That's the common way we treat our enemies. In fact, it's so interesting that Jesus says uh, the tax collectors and the Gentiles, that he used these two people to illustrate his message, right? Saying, do not even the tax collectors do the same? Don't they love the people that give them the reward? Do not even the Gentiles love their brothers and sisters, right? And what's so fascinating about that is that those were the two people that his audience hated the most, the tax collectors and the Gentiles. So when he's saying this to these people, he's basically saying, hey, don't think that you've got it all under control. Yeah, those enemies that you think are, you know, so bad, you've also done the same thing to them by hating them back. Now, that doesn't excuse the persecution they were going through. That doesn't make it right. But Jesus is saying there is a higher standard, a higher level that we are supposed to lean into as followers of Christ. Now, again, I just want to say that that is really hard, right? I mean, just this week when I see the way people are treating the Haitians, I... <laughs> get very upset and I want to make enemies of those people who are corralling them and it looks like they're whipping them and doing all these crazy things. I get upset when I continue to hear racist sentiments throughout our nation. I get upset when I continue to hear stories of how LGBTQ plus people are being discriminated against. I get upset by these things. I want to make those people my enemies and I want to destroy them intellectually, perhaps. But Jesus tells me to love my enemies. And what's so amazing about this whole Sermon on the Mount is that everything that we've learned so far is building up to this moment. Everything that Jesus taught about this burning anger within, this obsessive desire, this lust we have, he's building up this scaffolding to help us see that it's all leading to this moment of agape love. That's the Greek word for love that he describes here. Agape love, divine love that knows no end. And Jesus is saying that although it feels impossible, it's not because when we deal with the other things that he's talked about, the other things that Jason has preached upon, we're learning to transform from the inside. And we learn to absolve ourselves of all those things that lead us to hate 
instead of love. So I've realized that while it's hard, it's also not impossible. But I've also realized that it's not legalistic. That's the second thing here, right? It's not legalistic, meaning meaning Jason has shown over and over again how hyperbolic a lot of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is, right? He says, you know, if you have lust, cut out your eye. If you, you know, act out with your hand, cut it off, right? All these hyperbolic things. And I think Jesus was doing that to show us that we can't do these things in a legalistic way. Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount not to be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who talk about these things but don't do them. Because there's a difference between talking about it and living this law rather than being the law. Or should we just say love? Being love. The law points to an inner transformation where you become the love of Christ in your everyday moment and situations. So it's important to remember that when we're talking about these things, it's not some legalistic mandate or religious thing that we have to do and check off all the right marks. It's about an inner transformation that happens throughout our journey with God. And Jesus shows us what this looks like on the cross. When he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. His last moment on the cross, the perfect example, the perfect incarnation of agape love, the perfect manifestation of loving your enemy, praying for those who persecute you. You see, Jesus, his whole ministry was led by God's power, was led by this transformation that had already happened on the inside. He is the revelation of God incarnate on earth. This is what agape love looks like. So while it's important to acknowledge that this isn't hard or that this is hard, it's also important to acknowledge that it's not legalistic and that it comes from an inner transformation. In fact, I love how Dallas Willard says it. When he's talking about that moment on the cross and this idea of agape love, Dallas Willard says, Jesus does not call us to do what he did, but to be as he was, permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. I love how he says that. It becomes the natural expression of who we are in Christ. Meaning that when we go through this inner transformation, when we experience that fully, when we learn to deal with our anger, our lust, all those things that Jesus talks about before this moment of loving your enemies, when we learn to deal with those things first, then this inner transformation starts and loving our enemies actually becomes more possible. It becomes 
real. It becomes, as Dallas Willard says, the thing that happens when we are permeated with love, being as Jesus was. That's huge. And yet, the third thing I notice is this desire to do that in a way that might have ulterior motives. Meaning, haven't you ever loved someone to change them? Haven't you ever wanted to show someone how much you love them so that they might finally change their ways or be different or might grow up or learn that this is not the way to do it? That's not love either. The kind of love we're talking about reaches everyone in all situations. This is the kind of love that has no exceptions. This is the kind of love that is accepting of everyone, no matter what. It's the kind of love Jesus had for those who ultimately killed him on the cross. That's really hard to live into. Like I said, it's hard, but it's not legalistic. And finally, it has no ulterior motives. This is what agape love looks like. And even though it seems impossible, Jesus calls us towards that inner transformation, powered by God, so that we can love our enemies fully. So how do we do that, right? How do we do that? How do we get to a place where it is just a natural expression to love our enemies? Well, I don't know fully, but I do know one way is the part about prayer. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. So again, I think Jesus is very hyperbolic with a lot of his statements in the Sermon on the Mount because he's helping us see that we must rely on God in order to be able to love our enemies. We must rely on God. We must give our enemies to God in a sense. Pray for those who persecute us. So I want to end this time together. I know maybe that did actually feel like kind of a sermon. <laughs> but I want to end our time together with one more little practice. And so you can do this now or after when we're done. I want you to find a little jar or something that you can stick a little piece of paper in. And we're going to call this jar the give it to God jar. The give it to God jar. Because I know realistically, I'm not perfectly in a place to love all of my enemies perfectly and right now. 
And let's be honest, you're probably at that place too, and that's okay. This is a process, a journey. So what I'm gonna have you do is get a little piece of paper, and I want you to think about who is my enemy right now? Who is my enemy right now? Who persecutes me? Who can't I stand any longer? Who have I lost grace for? Just want you to think of one person. And I want you to write that name down on a little slip of paper. See, I've already done this. How many pieces of paper do I have in here? Two, four, five, <laughs> right? Write that person down and I want you to stick it in the give it to God jar. You're giving this person to God. Right now, this is your form of praying for them. This is your form of sort of taking that internal enemy and externalizing it and giving it away. That doesn't mean we excuse the persecution. That doesn't mean what they've done is right. That doesn't mean you have to go hang out with them or anything like that. It just means that you're learning to pray for those who persecute you to love your enemies possibly in a new way because God sends the rain on them just like he does you. So that's how I wanna end this little time together. Go ahead and do that for yourself. See what might change within you. See how that relationship might shift a bit perhaps or see how you might be freed from something that you didn't even know was holding on to. So my prayer for you is that you feel liberated, that you feel encouraged to love your enemy, to pray for those who persecute you. Let's pray. Loving God, God of agape love, we cannot even fathom most of the time how deep, how wide, how expansive your love is. We admit that we need help in understanding how to be that love in this world. I pray that anyone listening to this today, anyone brave and vulnerable enough to go through this experience would be freed from something, would have a new perspective on their enemy and or learn to love in new ways, just like you. Help us perfect our love. Help us learn how to love our enemies in the way that you always have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hi, good morning, everybody. My name is CJ and I've got some announcements here for you. Thank you for joining us on the online uh, Oceanside Sanctuary Gathering. If you are new to these online gatherings, we would love to know you're out there. You can simply connect with us at the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash contact portion of the website. 
One of our priorities we have identified at this church is to become a more empowering space for members of the LGBT community. To do that, we are creating a new open and affirming team. We're looking for four to six volunteers who are passionate about advocating for the LGBT community and willing to commit to working together to create new resources, opportunities, and partnerships to fulfill that commitment. If you are interested, speak with Jason about becoming a volunteer on this team. Have you ever felt like you were outgrowing your religious beliefs? Have you ever wondered why some religious people are hostile to change while others are at peace with progress? If so, then outgrowing immature religion might be just for you. Join us on Zoom for a six week exploration of how healthy spirituality is designed to change and grow with us across our lifespan and how resisting that change can amplify the fear, the anger, and the violence we so often see in more popular expressions of religion. To RSVP for this six-week study, simply click on the link below. We'd love for you to join our monthly book club every first Thursday at 6.30 p.m. on Zoom. This month, we will be looking at Unsettling Truths, the ongoing dehumanizing legacy of the Doctrine of Discovery by Mark Charles and Song Chan Ra. In it, the authors reveal the far-reaching, damaging effects of the Doctrine of Discovery. An official position from the church that gave Christian explorers the right to claim territories that they discovered in the 15th century. This was used to colonize and oppress many people, and the impacts of this are still ongoing injustices that live with us today. The author's truth-telling exposes past injustices and opens the door to reconciliation and true community. To RSVP for the book club, you can click on the link below. And finally, we'd love for you to support our mission here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, which is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on gifts and donations from people just like you. If you'd like to support our mission, consider giving a gift today on the website at theoceansidesanctuary.org backslash give. Have a great week, everybody.